0: Whoa! They ain't gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
1: The New Orleans Saints stayed put and took, wait for it, a defensive lineman. There it is. There it is. You stayed up late for the Saints not to break from tradition. You stayed up late for the Saints to do the same thing they always do and draft from one of the four position groups they always do and they made a non-sexy pick yet again. Like, wait for it? They always do. New Orleans selects the big fella out of Clemson, Brian Breezy, 6 foot 5, 305 pounds. Defensive tackle. Come on down. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald and beautiful host, Raymond Parts the third, better known as RP3, joined inside the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette with a uh, man who had his heart broken last night. He was wanting the Saints to not do what they always do. He, he saw an opportunity. Hey, great pass catching tight end falling right into your laps, Mickey Loomis, Jeff Ireland. Hey, a great pass rusher. It's falling right into your laps, New Orleans. It's right there. Break the mold. Don't do what you always do. Yet, they didn't listen to him, and they broke his heart. Dawson Izerlowe, the producer extraordinaire. Good morning, sir.
2: Yeah, I had the phone next to me. I, I thought the call was going to be coming for them to ask my opinion. I was up late for them, and, and they never asked. Um but no, I, I, you know, it's, it's not the, uh, there's, there's worse picks they could have made. And they did break a couple of trends. Most people have heard of this guy that breaks the trend from the last couple of seasons. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he, big he time, was, you know, a right. big school guy, big you know, school a guy, guy who yeah. played in some high profile games. And again, my only concern, which is what I said yesterday when we talked, we actually talked a lot about Breezy. So I'm glad Kevin Foot will be excited at least that we weren't caught off guard because that was his main concern. Yeah, and but we he weren't. wasn't
1: he didn't want this guy. Well,
2: he didn't, but he did like him over the other Clemson defensive linemen, and he liked him more than a lot of the other defensive tackles. Um well, maybe not that many. But uh anyway. He said his main priority was not being caught off guard, which we weren't, so that's good. But um I just I'm just worried about the injury history, that's it, and just you know. They've done that before. It's worked out at times. It hasn't worked out recently, though, with guys with injury history, see Peyton Turner. Um, but I like I I think the player has a you know and I love the story too and I think some of that stuff you know some of it matters too like a guy who's 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 got a great story that's that's going to want you know to prove something in the league.
1: Hey, he has a reputation of being a hard worker. He's dealt with some injuries in his career. He also dealt with some tragedy uh, with the death of his sister, and was able to kind of power through that. So you, you get an ultra motivated guy. The injuries is obviously kind of what worries you, right? I mean, this guy was a top recruit in the country coming out of Maryland and landed a starting role immediately for a perennial national powerhouse. Started 21 games over three seasons, but played only four games due to a torn ACL in 2021. Dealt with plenty this past season, including the death of his sister, Ella, who passed away due to brain cancer, uh, teammates describe him as the strongest person they know, mentally and physically. So, he checks a lot of those boxes that the Saints like, right? Not only is he the prototypical size that they like at defensive tackle, but he has the character stuff that they're a big fan of as well. And, we touched on this a little bit yesterday, and I think you and I had a discussion more so off the air about it. He can go to New Orleans, and, and look, they brought in two guys in free agency. and Then they also brought back Malcolm Roach. So now they got four guys that they can rotate in and out. That's what Dennis Allen likes to do anyway. So a guy that you took at the very back end of the first round – is not going to be counted on to play every single down in every single game. So you have a little time to develop him. And you could argue, well, RP3, now you have four D-tackles with none of them really as a clear-cut starter. But I don't think that matters to Dennis Allen and the Saints. Right, I think they like having those guys, and they can simply rotate them in, rotate them out, rotate them in, rotate them out. It once again it fits their philosophy. He's the body type they like. He has the character that they like. You know, uh, the one thing is that they typically don't draft from the big schools like that. The last Clemson player they took was Stefan Anthony. That didn't work out, right? So, but. You also got to a point in last night's draft where they could have went in some other directions, but obviously they didn't love the other guys on their uh, the other guys on the board because you had guys fall due to the fact that you had teams make runs. Right? We had all of a sudden had a run on the wide receiver position. After no one being drafted, what, in the first 20 picks? All of a sudden, there was a run. You had Maisie Smith selected a few picks before the Saints were there. The big fella out of Michigan. You thought maybe he would go. It was too early to take a guard in the first round. There was no tackles left if they wanted to go that direction. And I don't think they were very high on Joey Porter Jr., And they didn't need a corner anyway. Now, they could have went tight end there. The only tight end taken in the first round was the Kincaid kid out of Utah. So they they could have taken the kid out of Notre Dame. They opted not to. Uh, Once again, the Saints are very deliberate in their approach. They draft from four main position groups in the first two rounds. They have five to six guys that they really love. If they can't trade up to get one of those guys, and maybe last night they couldn't get their guy because Jacksonville decided to execute seven trades, then they just stay pat and they take one of their guys. And obviously he was high on their list. And let's not forget, they only have to wait eight picks to pick tonight. and Correct, which means they're going to get a great value player yeah, I mean, early like, in the second round. Chances
2: are, we're, there's going to be a couple guys that we thought were going to go in the first round still available at the Saints pick tonight um, because of how many guys fell. And I think we, we did a good job somewhat discussing this. Like Not everybody can go in the first 15 picks, and I think sometimes we get distracted looking at, well, Oh well that guy's not gonna fall. Well that guy's not gonna fall. Well somebody has to fall because we Somebody have, always falls. Yeah, and, and that's just the nature of it. Like everybody only gets to take one guy. And so, you know, the the nature of the, the guys that got guy taken early, a couple of guys, Jameer Gibbs, we didn't expect getting taken that early. I don't I don't exactly know what Detroit's idea is with the two running backs that they have right now, but um, you know, I mean,
1: you look I look at this mock draft right here, and this is from Lindy's draft guide, right? And I'm looking at all the guys here, and it's already popping up to me where we had guys that fell late. Like They had Joey Porter Jr. in their mock draft number 10. He didn't get drafted, right? The, the cornerback out of Penn State and, of course, the son of the famous Pittsburgh Steeler legend.
2: We also only got three quarterbacks taken.
1: Only three quarterbacks were taken. Brian Branch was not selected either, correct? Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Until the safety started out of Alabama, was projected to be the 15th pick. He wasn't taken. They had Osiris Torrance selected at number 17 in their mock draft. He didn't get taken in the first round. Uh, Drew Sanders, the linebacker out of Arkansas who began his career at Alabama, he didn't get taken. Jalen Hyatt, the wide receiver out of Tennessee, he didn't get taken. Cam Smith, the cornerback out of South Carolina, right? He didn't get selected either. So, I'm, I'm, I'm just through 24 on this mock draft luke musgrave who they projected to be 28 didn't get taken to tight end so marvin mims a wide receiver out of oklahoma didn't get selected so there's a lot of guys that have first round grades that didn't get selected because teams sometimes draft based on need so now you're in the second round and you do a reset you sleep on it, and guess what you're going to look up at your board and you go whoa those guys are available
2: yeah, and they draft based on their own first round boards that aren't the same as the experts' boards. But correct, Brian Branch being there is just oh man. I thought that'd have been a great fit. I really want the safety room to have an upgrade. I just don't trust the guys that have, the Saints have back there, and and I think. But he could be there at forty. It's possible, and that, I mean, you talk about will I be happy if that takes place? Because that's the guy too that Foot and I have been talking about for a while now. But then we kind of, we kind of. Pushed it aside and said, he's not going to be there. Let's not even talk about it anymore. And he was. And I didn't still. I did not expect him to be there. I did not expect Porter to be there. Nolan and Smith was there. Then he's taking the next pick. But... I didn't
1: expect Nolan Smith to be there either. And Nolan Smith was taken uh, by Philadelphia. So it was a surprising night with the draft. And the Saints, you know, I, I talked to a couple of Saints folks Some get upset.
0: Oh, Dennis Allen, what are you doing?
1: Dennis Allen has been the longtime defensive coordinator for the New Orleans Saints. They have a philosophy on that side of the football that he buys into and he's going to continue buying into as the head coach that Mickey Loomis and Jeff Ireland believe in as well. And I tried to tell y'all that, like, like, they have their approach that they believe in The Saints always believe every offseason, every single offseason, that if they follow their approach with the draft and free agency, that they're going to be a contender. Every single offseason, they feel that way. So we may say, hey, they need to go off script here. And we may say they need to do something else. They believe in their process because they say this has been successful for 15 plus years. So
2: why are we going to change? There is one thing they didn't do last night, though. Didn't trade up? They sure didn't. And I was like 24, 25. I was sitting there going, "There's no way they don't." Because like it, with them too, it sometimes feels like they just can't, like they they just can't resist. They it. They, they can't help themselves. No, and themselves. you know it's always been frustrating to be like, well, you just gave up extra assets. But I will say this: given that they didn't go up. I wouldn't be shocked if they go up tonight, try and get to 35, 36. If they, if they see one of those guys that falls out of the you know the first couple of picks that take place tonight, and they like maybe the safety, maybe Osiris Torrance still on the board, which a lot of offensive linemen went, and he wasn't one of them, which was a little surprising. The tackles went. A lot of the tackles went, but even a couple of the guards, Skronsky went early. Yeah. Um, but all that being said, like if they see – You know, first couple of picks off the board tonight, and even maybe then, but if first couple of picks off the board, they really like their guy, they'll be surprised if they move up. And the good thing about moving up tonight is it's a lot less expensive than moving up last night. And so, you know, if it's four or five picks moving up, you're not going to have to give up a first or a second round pick or anything like that. You'll probably be able to package maybe a couple of mid to late round picks to go up a few slots. And, again, I don't know if they had, what what was it, eight picks coming into this draft? They had eight picks. I don't know if they want eight players after this draft. I don't know if they really want to add that many. They typically don't. Um,
1: They like wheeling and dealing some of the later round picks, right? Packaging up to move up five spots in the fifth round or whatever. But, you know, something else could have happened last night, too, with Mickey and Jeff in the war room where they go, well, look how the draft's going. We don't need to trade up. Like, it may have hit them like a ton of bricks. Like, look at all these guys that are falling. We can get our D tackle right here. We don't have to burn our second rounder or even our third rounder. Let's go get the D-tackle, address that need, be done with it. And then tomorrow, if we want to trade up, like you mentioned, we can. And we can go get the best player we want available. Because so many good players fell down into the second round. And now they can address the draft tonight, best player available. Who's left on their big board? They probably have two, if not three guys that they loved that, is, that are still available. And guess what? They can just sit pat at 40 and wait for them to fall or they can just simply trade up and go grab the guy that they want. And you're probably going to be more excited about that than you were the first round pick. But don't forget, this is also a team last year that out of nowhere took Elante Taylor. And everyone said, well, that's not a need. Well, they said it was. He turned out to be a pretty good rookie, and it looks like he's going to be a guy that can be a franchise player for him. I wouldn't be surprised, like you mentioned, Dawson, if they move up here in the second round tonight and go get their guy that they really, really, really love. More about the NFL draft, more about the Saints coming up on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. You're listening to The Game
0: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU sports update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: The New Orleans Saints go out, don't trade up and select a defensive lineman out of Clemson, 6 foot 5, 305 pounder, Brian Breezy. That's what they did. And for all of you that were clamoring for Mickey Loomis and Jeff Ireland to break the mold, to not do what they've done for 15 years, Longer for Mickey Loomis. What did I tell you? They draft. What did they do in the first two rounds? D-line, O-line, DB, wide receiver. And who did they take in the first round? On Thursday night in Kansas City, a defensive lineman out of Clemson. They believe in their process. You may not. They believe in their process. And yet again, they did exactly what they always do. They took one of their position groups that they value more than anything else. This is what they do. They have a formula. They believe in it. This is how they base running their franchise. Can't be surprised, as I told people on multiple text threads last night. Do I love the Brian Breezy pick out of Clemson? No. The injury concerns concern me. That's not what your defensive line room and your front seven needs as more guys with injuries. But I love the kid's character. I love the fact that all the reports are that he's a leader and a fighter. I like that. You can't have enough of that in your locker room. And once again, everyone's like, got to go get a pass rusher. And we talked about it. But there wasn't a pass rusher that was built the way the Saints like their pass rushers to be, Dawson. There wasn't. There wasn't the prototypical six foot five, six foot four, six foot five guy that weighed about 285 pounds
2: there on the board. Not the guy that they liked. But just just wasn't. The good thing about the Brisey pick as well, is that Brisey is not a pass rusher, but he can slide outside and do some things for you. And, like, he's not not quite as versatile as some of the other guys in this class, like Van Ness, per se, who's played extensively both outside and inside. But he can do a little bit, and he can create some pass rush from the defensive tackle spot, and he at times slid outside as well for Clemson. He's got a pretty similar body type to Cam Jordan. He's not quite as big overall. He's a little bit heavier. Um, he doesn't have quite as long arms or anything like that as Cam does. And he's not quite the athlete that Cam Jordan is. But you can see the similarities in those two, you know, styles of of, of build. And so, therefore, I think like if, and also, by the way, he gets to now be in the building with Cam Jordan, who's had a pretty good career, and try and learn from a guy like that. Try to yeah, learn he's from a pretty good career, yes. And so I think he's a guy that's going to come in and, and, you know, give you a little bit. He's not just one of those complete run stoppers in the middle. You know what I mean? That we saw that there was a, there was a few of those in this draft, too. And I think maybe some people thought the Saints should do it, but he's, he's pretty versatile and he's very solid at everything he does. Again, this is a guy who came in and played early on in his career at Clemson, who was, by the way, like winning national titles or competing for them at the time. He came in and played right away and played throughout his career. Mm-hmm. Had a couple of tough injuries, but came back from them and played after the big knee injury. So, you know, I mean, look, it's not... Yeah, it's not necessarily the pick I would have made, but I'm I'm definitely encouraged by uh, his potential here. And once again, you bring in the two
1: guys that you did at D-tackle from the Jets and the Chiefs, and they're kind of similar, right, where... They've been starters. They've been backups. You bring back Malcolm Roach. So now D-tackle is taken care of. And and this is how you got to think of it if you're a Saints fan. They like their defensive ends to wreck havoc. And they like in their defense, which has been set by Dennis Allen for a very long time, Dawson, is what do they like to do? They like to have the defensive tackles eat up space to free up Cam Jordan or free up whoever's on the other side. They like the guys lined up across the line of scrimmage for defense to free up. That way Cam Jordan has an easier path to the quarterback.
2: And even, that's how, that's how they're built, man. That's well, how that defense is built. And even the direct comparison to Maisie Smith, who went a couple of picks earlier and you thought maybe that was the Saints guy and they took him. Maisie Smith is that prototypical run stopper in the middle. That's not going to really give you anything from a pass rush. I think Maisie Smith had a half a sack in his entire career in Michigan. Brian Breeze, the a guy who had, I think, three and a half sacks last year, had four sacks back right. a couple of years ago. Like he will give you something. And so I think that's great. Now you're picking at 29 as well, right? Is is he the run stopper that Maisie Smith is? Maybe no. not. No. Mm, I... But I think he's got the potential to be a better player overall. And so I, I'm not upset at all with with what they did. Remember, there was a time where we thought Maisie Smith was going to fall to the second round. Uh, then he ends up going early. The the kid from Northwestern. Like there was a lot of defensive tackles in the mix. Breezy for me is not at all the worst case. Uh, and I, I think there's some real. I think this guy can do some some different things. I think he can surprise Saints fans. And as long as the health checks out and the knee holds up and everything like that, I think he can play right away, which is, again, something we talked about. If you're in this win-now mode and this and that. Now, there was some comments about the Saints saying that they considered a quarterback. And, like, I don't know if you buy into all that. Like, I just don't know if... Mickey's going to come out and say, oh, we absolutely weren't considering that. He just likes to say that they were, you know, that everything was on the table. Of course he does. Um, But he said there was some talk there, and there's still a couple of quarterbacks on the board.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we were supposed to have five taken in the first round. And one guy, his betting odds skyrocketed, and he was supposed to be the number two quarterback taken. And he is sitting at home, and his girlfriend, who was very animated on the broadcast, with her reactions of her man not being selected,
2: uh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of family members in and out of the green room last night, in and out of the couches and stuff for a lot of different players. Uh, But the other thing, and you maybe wouldn't have been surprised if Hooker was the one that didn't go, but Levis was certainly a shock. Uh, There was a bunch of analytics that kept popping up on the screen about the percentage chance that he was going to have been taken already. What did that mean? What did they pull the GMs? I don't understand. Just, I just just made up. Stats. I'm a big analytics guy, you know that. Yes. I don't know how they could have had analytics no, for that. It doesn't. It's just the decisions of teams. So but it I got don't... to
1: a point where you felt watching it, you know, you kept waiting for okay because of the fifth year option, which is very appealing yeah. to uh, NFL GMs. But, but once again, we were told last year, Malik Willis, man, he's 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 skyrocketing up the draft boards, guys. He's going to be taken in the first round, guys. And he wasn't. Oh, yeah. And he plummeted. And obviously, NFL GMs looked at this quarterback class and said, there's three guys. There's three guys that have the potential to be elite. And then there's everyone else. And that's why Will Levis is at home, because none of the teams even wanted to try to trade back into the back end of the
2: first round to go get their quarterback, their franchise quarterback so they could have the fifth-year option. Well, and I'm not even sure that the consensus around the league was that there's three guys. I think those three teams you know, were in positions to take them. Now, I think another lesson, by the way, that goes to show us, and we do it every year, don't listen to the th- stuff that happens three or four days before the draft. No, like Occasionally, some of it will, will end up working out, and that'll the be The C.J. Stroud stuff C.J. is a Stroud, perfect example of that. Houston's not taking a quarterback, and, and I Levis, bought it. Will Levis and, and is skyrocketing on boards. I, I really bought the whole Houston wasn't going to take a quarterback with number 2. Now... Maybe if I'd have known they were going up to three anyway, that would have made more sense. Because I kept saying, it's got to be Will Anderson. It's got to be Will Anderson. It was just the
1: next pick. And Arizona wanted to trade out. And then yeah. they traded again. Yeah. Um, because they're doing a rebuild in in, in the desert. Right. Uh, Houston was ambitious. They got their two guys they wanted. and they Because they, they have a plethora of picks. And that the, allows
2: you to do that. You bring up that point about trading back in. And that's one thing. I kept saying it when we got to... 26, 27, and they were, you know, and the analysts were kind of saying there's not really a team left on the board that's gonna go quarterback here. But I was sitting there going, yeah, but somebody's gonna go up to 30 or 31 or tw- you know, to get that fifth-year option. I really thought somebody was gonna go up and do that to get Levis. It didn't happen. The other interesting thing is the teams that took quarterbacks were the teams that we knew needed quarterbacks. There's a lot of teams that we that we think need quarterbacks, but Correct. I do think like there's a situation where Tennessee, like I'm not sure Tennessee thinks they need a quarterback right now, um, and so I was not surprised
1: at all that they went with what they went with because right, right, they, needed, right. they but, needed that help there.
2: And some of the other positions, so maybe that's part of the reason too with Levis. I guess not. Maybe not every team out there is as set on needing to change it up at the the commanders or another. Your your team was another one that we said. Maybe they need a quarterback. Their comments haven't suggested that they think they need a quarterback, but we sit there and go, yeah, but look they at the guys They believe in on Sam. The they're going
1: to try to run it with Sam. They wanted to address a need because they needed a need at cornerback, and that's what they did. And, and, and you're right. And we'll talk more about the surprises from last mm-hmm. night's NFL draft, the guys that got taken, the guys that got taken early, the guys that didn't get taken at all. D'Lo and I will break that down for you next right here on the game. One of the surprises in last night's NFL draft was the fact that the Saints didn't trade up. They stayed pad at 29. They took Brian Bresee, a defensive tackle, out of Clemson. But there were plenty of surprises going on in last night's first round there in Kansas City. First pick, not a surprise. Bryce Young, quarterback out of Alabama, goes to the Carolina Panthers. Second pick, I thought C.J. Stroud was going to be taken in the top four. Sure enough, Texans are like, he's our guy. He may be the best guy in the class long term. He's very accurate. He makes all the throws. So the Texans, they take a quarterback. But then the first surprise comes at three. We knew Arizona wanted to trade out. We've been hearing that for, what, three weeks? Like the Cardinals are like, we're trying to do a rebuild here. We need picks. Great. The Texans are like, screw it, let's roll. Now, Houston has a plethora of picks with everything that's happened in the last couple years. I mean, they have an excessive amount of draft picks. They're like, we want to go back up to three. They went from 12 to three. I think they gave up a second rounder this year and a first rounder next year to do it. They went and got Will Anderson out of Alabama. So they got their quarterback, they got their pass rusher. Boom, boom. It's bold. Some people say, well, is, you know, you gave up a future first round pick. The Texans feel like they got their franchise quarterback and they got their franchise defensive player in back to back picks. Those are two foundation pieces you build
2: around. It's a reminder, and I'll say this for a long time, and I just there's a lot of people that just don't agree with me, but like the draft's not won on draft night, but the Texans won last night, in my opinion. And that doesn't mean these guys are going to work out because they still have to work out and we've talked about I think we've and done a good job explaining develop. there's a million yes. factors that are going to go into that. Correct. But when you're in that position and you have the picks to do so and you're able to go up and yes, get if he and look, if that's the other thing too, if he's the franchise quarterback and Anderson becomes an all-pro on defense, then like they're going to be contenders for a long time.
1: Correct. Because those are two of the most important and, positions on a team.
2: And so what I look at it, too, there's a very clear situation. C.J. Stroud, to be honest with you, has still been my favorite quarterback over Bryce Young in this class. I, I certainly was concerned about the test things, but I think I'm going back now to feeling like, why do you listen to the stuff that comes out the last week anyway? And I still think C.J. Stroud's going to have the better career than, than Bryce Young is. And I, I know that's probably a, a bit of a bold hot take. I don't give you too many hot takes, so I'll give you one there. But anyway, my point being, there's definitely a scenario that exists in which C.J. Stroud's the best quarterback in the class. And there's definitely a scenario that in which Will Anderson's the best defensive player in the class. Or the best player, period. Right. In the class. So if you're able to go in and, like, there's a legitimate opportunity that, and I get they're picking two and three with the way the trades happen, so it's not like they went out on some limb here. But there's a real shot they could get the best offensive and the best defensive player in the class. And yeah, they gave up a first next year, but they didn't mortgage the whole future. And they have
1: still second round picks. Right,
2: and they still have a lot, and they still have a lot of overall picks <laughs> they that still, they can then look if they want a first round pick, they can package some things to, together. So like it's overall
1: never, it's never it's never over. I liked what the Texans I like what did. I what they did, yeah. It was bold. Richardson, Anthony Richardson goes 4 overall, quarterback out of Florida End. <sighs> Who's going to develop them there? Like that that's my question. Nick Foles is there. He can show them how to be a pro, but that kid needs some time, man. So is Ballard going to – are they going to be patient enough? That's my concern with Indy taking Richardson is, are you going to throw him in the fire too early where he loses confidence? Because that happens all the time to these young quarterbacks. You throw them in there, and they're not ready. And then they lose their confidence,
2: and then they become journeymen in three years. Happens all the time. I've got a Will Levis take. He might he 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 didn't get picked last night. And he's probably pretty upset this morning. And you his know, girlfriend family, was upset last night. Well, a lot of people were upset last night, right? <laughs> but yes. uh, I think Will Levis might have won last night. And here's why: the first few picks of the draft, and this isn't necessarily how NFL GMs should be running their franchises, but we see it all the time. Guys who are picked early, and or guys who are signed to big contracts, teams feel the need to play the big investments. They feel early. the need. Yep. If you take a guy in the top ten, and how many times do we see this? A guy who has never done anything in the league, but there's that little thing attached to him. Remember, he's a former first-round pick, and he that guy continues to get chances because teams go, man, if that team was willing to invest all that in him, he's got to have that talent in there. Maybe we can get Correct. it out of him. They always feel that pressure, and that pushes teams. Again, with Richardson, I don't know if they're going to start him. I, I would hope they don't start him right away to start the season, but they're probably going to play him pretty early. But Will Levis? Now you go in the second round to the right situation where a team maybe has a quarterback, and they don't feel that pressure right away. And even if things don't go well with their starting quarterback that season, they might still go, yeah. But that was we used a second round pick on him. We're okay. Let's take our time, and Will Levis might get the time he Correct. needs.
1: It changes. So it I changes. think this,
2: and just just the fact of being a second versus a first round pick, there's still that mindset, and not that it, again. Like I think the NFL, you know, you, once you're on the roster. Your evaluation should start fresh of you being there, Um, but that's just not how it works. Because when when, and when team owners come down and say, "Hey, Mister GM, remember when you paid that guy fifteen million? Let's get him on the field, huh?" Like that stuff, you know, I think matters. I do. So I think think you might look back from this and go, "Wow, how about Will Levis going to a situation where he didn't have to rush, he didn't have to play at all his first year, and he didn't even have to rush him into his second year, and then he ends up being a decent pro?" I think that's that's a scenario that also exists in uh in possibility so
1: after that then it became will levis watch where's he gonna go you thought maybe seattle but seattle said no by the way under pete carroll and schneider they had never taken a cornerback in the first round of a draft together there in seattle and they never taken a wide receiver and they did both i think seattle had a good draft uh, i i they took a guy who is an absolute physical corner. He plays with an edge. Weatherspoon out of Illinois. I know some people thought that was too high. I, I watch Illinois because I lived in Illinois for six years. I have a lot of friends that are alumni fan. I, I watch this kid. This, this kid is he's kind of filthy.
2: And then on the other side with, with Smith and Jigba, it's a perfect example, in my opinion, of a team that saw a guy and maybe had a plan and look, maybe they had him. Maybe that was kind of their idea all along. They thought they need more receiver depth, but, but they're going think... to line him up in the slot. Th- and they're going to yeah, have a three
1: headed but... attack now for Gino.
2: Right. And and my th- thinking there is they saw the point of the draft they were and that he was up there and they said, look, forget what we're, what our needs are. This guy's too good to pass up. Correct. And I think that's a great way to approach a draft too. It was when a you, value when yes. you have a guy up there that you go, look, I know we need you know this or that, but. This guy's not going to, these guys don't come around all the time in the spot we're in. So we got to go get him. And I think that's what they did. And yeah, I mean, and, and and it helps for them that it wasn't their first and only first round pick, right? They had already addressed a bigger need. Correct. It was value for them. And,
1: and then it, it kept going, right? Because you're like, well, okay, well, where's Levis going to go? Some big surprises came. Atlanta took Bijan Robinson at eight. You started hearing rumblings about that. He Detroit. was taking oh, Jalen Carter. Philly didn't care about his character issues. They took him at nine. Like, they took him at nine. And his agent, by the way, only interviewed, had his client interview with teams in the top ten. And guess what happened? He was taken in the top ten. Like, I say it all the time. We care about character issues. We care about off-the-field stuff. We
2: We worry about all that kind of stuff. You know who doesn't? NFL GMs
1: they well, just they, don't
2: I think in certain situations and it depends a on the on the team. I think the Saints value it more than some other teams. They
1: do. There's a few teams that value it more, but for the most part NFL GMs they're drafting
2: talent. That's what it's about. Well, and that's that's the other thing. It's always about and it's and I've said this to people and when they've asked about, well, why is this guy not signed? It's always about does the talent outweigh what it what else you have to deal with correct and that's it's look it's one of the reasons Odell Beckham took a took a long time to get signed in certain situations because teams had to sit there and say we we know what the talent is but is it worth what else is going to come here that's the same thing with some of the other situation Antonio Brown every team had this situation where they were going they were bringing him in to workouts and then you're sitting there going okay here's what the guy is here's what he does off the field here's how how many headaches it's going to cause us is what he brings to us on the field worth and does it overcome what he brings to us off the field. And that's the decision, and then teams make that decision.
1: And they make the decision, obviously, and Philly feels like they have a locker room that can deal with that. Plus, there's former teammates of his there as well. Kind of like when Arizona took, back in the day, took the Honey Badger. You already had Patrick Peterson there, right, to help. Sometimes that works out that way. Detroit was like, watch us. Jameer Gibbs the running back out of Alabama formerly of Georgia Tech taken at 12 and then they took Jack Campbell the Iowa linebacker at 18 some surprises there i thought they reached a little bit on Campbell it was a need for them so they drafted by need um uh, i thought
2: I, I was surprised they took Gibbs as well that's the surprise of the first round for me like like it really is and i cuz i another thing too i don't really do is is when people say oh you reach for him and i think i've mentioned this like You reach for him, you could have got him in this round. We don't know that, first of all, and that team has their own board and evaluations, but taking a running back in the top 15 is not something I think is smart. Um, If you're going to, I think it has to be the generational player, which I don't know that Bijan is, but I certainly don't get that feeling from Gibbs. I think he's a very, very good player. I think he's going to be a very good running back. And the other thing is, like, in the top 15, I don't, Need matters a little bit, and they don't need him. They just signed David Montgomery, and they have DeAndre Swift. <laughs> I know they let Jamal Williams walk for cheap. Like uh, it's a, if you felt running back was such a need, oh to take I him. know. They... So obviously it's a situation where Detroit's front office goes, this guy is special, and he's going to change things for us offensively. I didn't, I didn't like the pick, and I've liked a lot of things that Detroit's done in the past couple of years. I like everything that Dan Campbell has going there, and that offense is young and explosive and talented. I thought the Gibbs pick was, was not a great pick, and, and we'll see how that ends up working out.
1: It could work out. You never do know. Lots of surprises in the first round last night. We'll talk about them more throughout today's show. But it is our poll question of the day. What was the biggest surprise in Thursday's NFL draft first round? Only three quarterbacks taken, Houston trading up, the Saints not trading up, or other. We'll share your comments after this timeout. You're listening to the game.
0: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water back Back to more kick-ass sports talk with rp3 and company on the game game. 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's Louisiana's Sports sports station
1: poll question of the day what was the biggest surprise in thursday's nfl draft first round Right now, 47% of you say Houston trading up to three was the biggest surprise. That was a bit of a stunner. 28% of you say Saints not trading up. We know what Mickey loves. He loves to trade up. Unless Jeff Ireland told him, no, Mickey, bad Mickey, no. I'd just love to know the dynamic between those two. Because Jeff Ireland has reeled in Mickey in a lot of ways on how they approach things, particularly with the draft. I'd love to know what those conversations are in the war room. 19% 19% of you say other, 6% say only three QBs taken. Let's get to some comments. Ralph says, gotta go with Steve on this one. Watching Levis's girlfriend see the money withering away with each pick was priceless. Now, I ain't saying she's a gold digger. <laughs> lots, of, lots of stuff on social media about Will Levis's lady friend. Ton says, Houston, not just trading up, but getting solid picks. He also said, let's not forget Levis puts Mayo in his coffee, survival psychopath. He did this to himself. Salty Steve says, Will Levis thinking he's a big deal, then finding out he could have humiliated himself in his own living room instead of going to Casey and getting humiliated with every pick of the first round. Doug says, Saints pick didn't surprise me, them staying Pat did. I think that's fair because the kid fits the mold of the guys they like to draft. Um, but they did stay Pat, which is kind of surprising because they love to trade up. Brody says Houston picking two and three was jaw dropping. By the way, I believe Foot may have called this happening yesterday. Kevin's been
2: on this. No, he did. And, and Miguez is going to tell you he was the first to predict it, but Foot had him beat. He did. Foot always has him beat. <laughs> oh,
1: oh man! If they, uh, Salty Steve also says if they start a drinking game where people have to take a shot every time a pick is made and it isn't Levis, everyone playing would be in a coma. <laughs> I, look, I also think a lot of people think this draft isn't exactly the strongest, the deepest. And the Saints may go, okay, well, we're not trading up for then. We'll let guys fall to us and see what happens. But there's a ton of great players that are going to be available here in round two and round three. Michael Mayer, Joey Porter Jr., Brian Branch, Luke Musgrave, Hendon Hooker, Steve Avila, Jonathan Mingo, Darnell Washington, Osiris Torrance, B.J. Ogilari, Jalen Hyatt, Keely Ringo. Uh, like. There's a ton of guys that, depending on who you listen to, have first round grades that aren't going to be taken in till tonight. So, Saints are going to have great opportunity to add another star player. Hour one in the books. Hour number two will shift gears to baseball. Talk Houston Astros with James Yasko to kick things off. That's next right here on the game.
0: Everything going be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
1: NFL draft, NFL draft, NFL draft. That's what we spoke about, discussed, chopped it up with you about an hour number one here on RP3 and Company as we recapped round number one, dove into the Saints pick, and then talked about the rest of the first round of the draft from Kansas City. We'll talk more about the NFL draft coming up throughout the rest of today's show. Don't forget to go vote on our poll question of the day. What was the biggest surprise of round one? Was it the fact that it was only three quarterbacks taken? Was it the fact that the Saints didn't trade up? Because you know they love to trade up. Was it the fact that the Texans traded up, took picks two and three? Or was it something else? Let us know with your votes and with your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But right now it's time for us to talk a little Major League Baseball. You know, here we sit as the month of April winds down and guess what's happening? The Houston Astros are starting to play good baseball. The Houston Astros, who always start off sluggish, are only a half game behind the Texas Rangers for first place in the American League West. The Astros are above 500. The Astros took two or three from the Blue Jays, swept the Braves, and then shut out back-to-back games, the best team in baseball in Tampa Bay. To talk all things Houston Astros with us is our friend now from the Lima Time Time podcast and Houston Chronicle contributor, james yasko james good morning to you brother how
3: are you my friend tied tied with the rangers not not a half game back tied my my apologies because well it's i know it's weird because finally the rangers had to play somebody other than oakland Uh, (laughs) i don't know how i don't know how texas has managed to to draw oakland in the first 25 games of the season uh but there it is
1: there it is there it is so now tied so what is the thing that has stood out to you in this stretch here where they won all three straight series against three of the best teams in baseball?
3: It's, it's pretty typical for the Astros. They, they tend to play to their competition. Um, you know, I mean, we, we watched them in the first – you know, they played the Twins, and it's it's an outdoor stadium, and it's early April, and it's 35 degrees at first pitch, and, which is just a, one of the dumbest things for Minnesota to have an outdoor, at least not a retractable roof. Um but no, this is kind of what they do. They they struggle against the Tigers because you know it's early and everyone's kind of finding it and all of that. And then and then once once it gets to be a quote unquote big series, they tend to step up. So this is this is what we've seen for going on seven seasons now.
1: Hunter Brown showed flashes of greatness last year. We you and I talked about him so much, dominating Triple A down there at Sugar Land. And he came up and he contributed and he stepped up and the stage wasn't too big for the young man, helped him win a World Series. He's even better this year. And he has been absolutely lights out phenomenal. Are you surprised how easy he's
3: made it look? Yes and no. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see because he, he hasn't been in the majors for a full season yet. So normally there's a little bit, uh, you see it where pitchers with with just sort of nasty stuff uh have a leg up the first time that they they face uh an opponent you know with and you know i mean everyone has film on everybody else but but if you don't see the pitch coming in then you're not 100 percent sure what it's going to what it's going to look like so on on some level you know it's it's not terribly surprising he was he, he has filthy stuff the other part of me is is really interested in, and in because I mean, the, the dude grew up in Michigan. He grew up idolizing Justin Verlander. He based his mechanics off of Justin Verlander. And now I don't, I'm sure no one ever told him this, but one of his jobs is sort of to replace Justin Verlander. So I, I wonder if, is that, is that a really cool thing for him that he gets to go be the guy that, that he idolized growing up and, and learned from, you know, I'm sure over the, the part over part of last season, um, you know how, how has that affected him? Because that's a really cool little plot line.
1: He has stepped up, and we've also seen now Garcia pitched extremely well in back to back outings after such a rough start to the season. Do you feel like this is the guy that we're going to see the rest of the way?
3: Yeah, I mean he's he's been this guy more than he was the guy that started the first two games of the season. Uh, I think he's he's able to he he was able to adjust to the pitch clock because he does have a pretty slow. Uh, a slow motion, you know, in getting the ball out of his glove, uh, and I, you know, took him a couple starts to get used to it, and and now now he's he's firmly back, and he's done this more than he's been the other guy, so uh, it's good to see. Not terribly surprising.
1: A big thing that kind of stood out during this last three series against the Blue Jays, Braves, and Tampa Bay was the bullpen, which had been shaky. It kind of really started turning a corner against Toronto. It was lights out against Atlanta while the Braves bullpen decided to have a meltdown and blow two games. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, 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 I noticed things. And I was like, really? Really? Come on, really? Um, no, and, put, and, and, pitch to Jordan.
3: You, you got him this time. You got Jordan this time. Uh, yeah, yeah, keep, yeah, yeah. Keep, yeah. Let's Keep throwing me both.
1: Yeah, let, let, let's just throw him batting practice pitches. That works out to one of the best <laughs> sluggers in baseball. I had flashbacks of Jeff Reardon throwing pitches to Kirby Puckett right over the plate in the world (laughs) series. (laughs) I'm just sorry. But, and then especially against Tampa, uh, this is what we expected the bullpen to be right, James.
3: Uh, Yeah. I mean, and I think that's what, that's what James click and, and now Dana Brown uh, have, have sort of, you know, tried to maintain, you know, it was the, the, they went with a. It, it wasn't broken. It, there's no need to to fix it, and there's no need to get cute. Bring everybody back and, and do it again. Um, and you're gonna have some shakiness, you know. I mean, it's it, and and I think we talked we've talked about this already this season that if you're a reliever and you have one bad outing, you know that can that can wreck your little dashboard steps, You know your ERA, your WHIP. Uh, if you if you you know make four appearances and get absolutely blown up in one of them, it's gonna it's gonna look way worse than maybe it is. So there there was a little bit of shakiness, but keeping in mind that you know yes there was spring training and yes there was the World Baseball Classic, that it's gonna take a little bit of time to to find your rhythm and get your uh, sort of get the <clears throat> not just the timing of your of your of your wind up and your pitches down, but just get used to the grind of the season. Uh, so so yeah, no the bullpen the bullpen's back and watch them you know get lit up for four runs tonight. And just because I've said that, um, but no, it, 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 I think it, it's going to be okay.
1: We're talking with James Yasko. It's always okay to talk to him on Fridays. He's from the Limit Time, Time Podcast, also a contributor to the Houston Chronicle and also a man who's building a girls' soccer dynasty in juggernaut. the state of Texas. Uh, juggernaut. a uh, powerhouse, if you will. Perennial powerhouse. Yes. We feel, I feel like we talk about him every week, but uh, rightfully so. I don't think we can talk enough about the way Dubon has stepped up, not only replacing Jose Altuve, but then having to step up into the leadoff hitter role and he has absolutely thrived. And this is a guy that struggled at the plate all of last season, and yet here he is serving as one of the Astros' best hitters, handling the leadoff spot wonderfully and playing good defense at second.
3: Yeah, and and the the fun thing about it is that every like, like you read the stories, uh, and you, you know you can kind of see it in the dugout, everyone is just absolutely delighted. For, for Mauricio Dubon. Um, you know, we, we know that, that he and he and Jordan Alvarez play, what, what do they play? They played chess or connect four, I, I can't remember, battleship, uh, and and just talk about hitting. And it's just, it's hilarious to think about Jordan Alvarez, who is basically a transformer, uh, and talking, you know, hitting with, with Mauricio Dubon. And... The, it, it's it's paid and you know, we don't know. Of course, Altuve is is you know there to help and he's in the dugout. Um, it's just it's just a really fun story. Uh, and as someone who said really terrible things about Mauricio Dubon within the last 365 <laughs> days, yes, she did. Yes, she did. For the guy. I'm slandering his mama. Like I'm questioning everything about it. Um, it's it's so much fun to see. And not
1: only has he been stepping up for this team, other kind of unsung guys, jolks and others have done so as well. What does that tell you about the depth of this Astros team and what does that tell you about Dusty Baker and his ability to be able to plug and play in guys?
3: Yeah, I think I think, you know, there's not a single person in baseball that doesn't respect Dusty Baker. And when Dusty Baker says you can go do a job, then, then you walk up to the plate feeling six inches taller than than, than maybe you did before. Um, but it, it it says everything about Dusty. It says everything about the team. It says everything about how the team was created in the front office. Uh, that you can be like, well, we don't really have a center fielder. but and, However, we're just going to kind of rotate it, and it's going to be – guys with less than a hundred games of experience. And it's going to be, and it might, it might be Jake Myers who suddenly remembered how to hit. uh, And it might be Corey Jolks, Who's who's 20 is a 27 year old rookie uh, that, that is absolutely crushing the ball and doing a pretty decent job defensively. So it's a, it's a credit to everybody involved with, with how this team is constructed.
1: It's constructed so well, and they're going to get good guys back into the lineup when can we expect to see Michael Brantley
3: he's had a, I looked at it yesterday he's had a couple of a couple of games uh, <clears throat> you know I think he's not a guy that you know and I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure what you know it, it, I, I would imagine that it would be when Michael Brantley says he's ready he's ready uh, and it, it, it could be I mean it, it could be Monday it could be a week it could be two weeks as he just sort of uh, gets because he hadn't played in almost a year right uh, he he went down what beginning end of may last year so we're coming up on on 11 months without him seeing a, a major league pitch you know in a in a game situation so i imagine they're going to slow play it you know the last thing you want is is to rush him back uh especially when there's there's not really a reason to rush it it's not like you know the whoever whoever is in his spot is hitting you know 063 um you know they're they're kind of holding it down so so what jolks and what jake myers has has done and you're playing left field you know from time to time what that's done is that that's allowing michael brantley to, to take his time and get get back to 100 percent.
1: you'll get brantley back you'll get mccormick back as well probably what later this month what, what what do we what do we think there what's the latest on there i know the astros are usually pretty tight-lipped about these things but when do we expect to see mccormick
3: back yeah, we don't know. Did he did he hurt his back? Did he have to have like cornea transplants? Uh did his nose fall off? Like we 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 do not know. I've no idea. Chad McCormick probably doesn't even know. They have him in if in like a cryo chamber. He's been asleep for for two and a half weeks. You know,
1: at first I thought, you know, they're talking about like vision I was like, well, maybe it's a concussion. Like I I but I, I don't know. They're they're so tight-lipped about that. And it's just amazing how that works. But they're going to get Brantley back. They'll eventually get Altuve back. And here they are, tied for first place as we wrap up the month of April. And all those people that were freaking out, some of them sarcastically through their Twitter account, <clears throat> um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Good. Um, early in the season, you. yeah, uh, here they are. Well, once again, they always start off slow. I want to ask you a non-Astros question. Uh, Oakland moving to Vegas looks like it's going to be a done deal, right? Yeah. It's hard. Look, you and I are roughly the same age. To go from Vegas not having any professional sports teams to now, all of a sudden, they have them all, and Oakland not having one. Look, I know the A's have been a dumpster fire. I know they have a cheap owner. I get all that. The the ballpark is a mess. I get all that. But... Is this good? Like, like, is for baseball? Is this good that the A's are leaving Oakland?
3: I don't think it's good. Whenever, I don't. I don't think it's good to to at any time. When did when did they move to Oakland? Was that the early '60s?
1: Yeah, it feels that way. Um, yeah,
3: you know, they've been there for sixty years. Uh, however, and I, I, I'm happy to blame Rob Manfred for absolutely everything. Um, but, but Oakland's ownership did not, they have not covered themselves in glory, you know, since, since the late 1980s, uh, I guess since Moneyball came out there, that, that's when they were like, no, we'll do Moneyball, but with a stadium, not, not just roster construction. Um, I don't, I don't know that it's, I don't know that what was happening in Oakland was good for baseball. You know, is, is moving to Vegas good for baseball? I don't, I don't know. It's gonna be real freaking funny when they run out of water. Uh, which that's not true. I didn't mean that. I, I, that was being sarcastic. I was. I, it's not going to be funny when Las Vegas runs out of water. Um, but I don't. I don't know that there was anything that was that is good for baseball surrounding the Oakland days right now. Um, you know, I, I, I do admire the <laughs> the commitment that if 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 we can't win ninety seven games and go to the playoffs, then we're going to tear it down and we're going to win fifty nine games until we can win ninety seven games again. And then when that doesn't happen, we're going to tear it all down again. It's. I, I think. What what would be best for baseball was for Oakland to have new owners. I, mean, I think that's mm. I think that's that's sort of where where the line is drawn. I, I
1: agree. And they moved to Oakland in '68 from Kansas City, okay. and then obviously they originally were in Philly back in the old uh, Connie Mack days.
3: This is their fourth move. Like that, this is their fourth city that they've played in. That's I know mm. they've been around since you know the Revolutionary War, but yes, 1901
1: uh, they were one of the American League's eight charter franchises. Yes, <laughs> yes.
3: So. I mean, to say they've moved forward, okay, that's that's once every like forty years. Yeah.
1: Um, so they're moving to Vegas. I'll wrap it up with this: Nashville's trying really hard to get a MLB team. They have a great minor league baseball team there. They have for generations. That's that. It feels like a baseball town. Salt Lake City, which is an underrated pro uh, sports city, they've put together a great proposal. We know expansion is coming. The A's are simply relocating. Who do you think is going to get the two teams that Rob Manford and Major League Baseball desperately wants to have? Two more teams. Who do you think it is? Who do I
3: want? Who do I want to get it, or who do I think will? Who do get
1: you think is going to get the franchises? What cities?
3: I, I would think, I would think Nashville and Portland.
1: Yeah, Portland feels like they're a town that 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 could handle it. They had that great minor league baseball team. Kurt Russell was part of. His dad was part of it. And um, years ago, years ago, I, I think Salt Lake City, man, due to the artist rendering, I'm like, ooh, that looks good. That
3: looks yeah, good. No, I, mean, I, I think because I think what the what you'll want to, what they'll want to see is is geographic balance. Like I'd love for Nashville and Montreal to get it. I'd love for San Juan, Puerto Rico, to get a to ooh. get a major league team. Um, but I don't, I don't know that they would, they would just add two teams east of the Mississippi. I think it'll be one and one.
1: Yeah. And because Oakland's going to be relocating to Vegas, that's still the West Coast, so, so that's still, you know, on that side of the country. So, right. That, right. So, yeah. So, okay. So you say you, you, you told us what you'd like, but you think it's going to be Nashville and Portland is what you're going to think.
3: That's, that that's my pick. All right.
1: We'll see. When do you think that's going to get done by James?
3: Uh, or at least when the announcement's gonna be made. I think it I don't know that it'll be this season, but I think it'll be by the end of once once the once the ball gets super like really once the once the Vegas thing is one hundred percent done and dusted, I think that's when you'll see the announcement. James. So maybe next season.
1: Appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy your weekend. Hopefully it goes well against those Phillies. Uh uh, you know, I won't be mad at your Astros if they decide to sweep Philadelphia now.
3: No, we done it. I mean, we almost did it in, in November. So I, I think a, April, you know, who, who knows? <laughs> Thank you, bud.
0: This is RP3 and Company on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts
1: Poll question of the day. What was the biggest surprise in last night's first round of the NFL Draft live from Kansas City? Was it the fact that only three quarterbacks were taken? Bryce Young out of Alabama, number one overall to Carolina. C.J. Shroud of Ohio State taking number two overall to Houston. And then Anthony Richardson taking number four overall out of Florida to the Indianapolis Colts. No, Will Levis. He dropped. His uh, reactions by him and his girlfriend will live on forever as memes on social media. The quarterback out of Kentucky. Also, Hinden Hooker still there as well. Is it the only three quarterbacks taken? Is it Houston trading up like they did from 12 up to three so they could get the pass rusher, Will Anderson, out of Alabama? Was it the Saints? Not trading up, staying pat at 29 when they selected the defensive tackle out of Clemson, Brian Breezy. Or was it something else? Right now, 48% of you say Houston trading up was the biggest stunner of the night. 31% of you say Saints not trading up. 16% say other. 5% say only three QBs taken. B-Rad says Houston, big ones. It was a bold move. Make no doubt about it. It was an absolute bold move, but one they felt they had to make. Darren on Twitter says, Kirby Smart might as well be Philly's defensive coordinator. (laughs) They do like like them, uh, some Georgia players. Uh, What Ohio State players are to the Saints, Georgia players are to the Philadelphia Eagles. They love them. They prefer them. Now, I'm not necessarily sold that the guys that they've taken the last couple of years are going to work out and be long-time legendary players, but does seem like there's a little bit of a pipeline there between Kirby Smart's team and the team that played for the Super Bowl last year. So, was Houston trading up for you, d the biggest surprise of the night?
2: I would have actually said the three quarterbacks thing, which I guess, you know, the people aren't agreeing with me this morning. That's okay. They can be wrong. Um... <laughs> That's a joke, especially it's it's a very opinionated <laughs> poll. Sometimes they're wrong on the on the ones that have it right answers. This one doesn't, but um no, I just thought I thought Levis was going to go and Hooker, I I thought maybe, um but I was you know I wasn't shocked there that Hooker didn't go, but I definitely thought Levis was going to go, and I thought there was certainly a scenario in which all five. So that was the biggest surprise to me because I just felt I mean again like we <laughs> we we had Levis' number one pick odds going up throughout the week. Yep. Like to 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 overtake Bryce Young. Now they never got to the point where it was, but like he was not just like you know every you know media people talking like like Vegas was talking about it. Like everybody was had an idea that this was gonna you know happen. So I thought top. I didn't think he'd get past five, and, and then he got past ten, and then fifteen, and then he, twenty, and
1: he dropped like a, he just went. He just went. I'm not surprised Hinnan Hooker didn't go. There was some buzz about him possibly being a first-round guy. But he f- always felt like a second-round guy to me. Will Levis dropping, that's the big surprise to me. And look, there were some other surprises as well. Houston trading up, I get it. But there have been some rumblings about that. And Houston has a wealth of draft picks. It was a bold move. But Foot told you that that was a possibility this week. He discussed it. He was the, kind of the first guy that he he had been hearing that and, and discussed it on the air here on the, at the game. So Detroit's approach kind of surprised me. There were some other guys that were selected where they were where you're like, okay, okay. Uh, the wealth of trades, there's a plethora of trades. Jacksonville was involved in what, three of them? <laughs> they just kept trading. So – But only three quarterbacks taken. Look, I am uh, always a guy that's going to tell you that quarterbacks are overvalued in the draft process. So many times when you'll see somebody's big board and the quarterback is the 45th best player in the draft and yet they're taken in the top ten. Because teams reach on quarterbacks every year. So I'm not, you know, personally – yeah, three quarterbacks being taken seems about right. But I am surprised because teams overreach for quarterbacks all the time, and Will Levis looked like a guy that someone was going to overreach for. And I just assumed, well, that's a done deal. They're going to take him. Somebody's going to draft them in the top 10 or at least the top 15. And, in fact, everyone said, we're good. We're good. That's a hard pass for us. So I guess those comps to Josh Allen – Not necessarily working out. I also saw comps to Jake Locker. So, he's just like, eh, eh, timeout. Let's let's pause a little bit there. Also, I thought Seattle had a good uh, night. I thought Baltimore had a good day and night. Lamar got paid. Baltimore keeps their quarterback. They went ahead and gave him another weapon. Yeah. Ravens doing some smart things got to take a timeout when we return here on rp3 and company we're going to talk raging cajuns we're going to talk lsu women's basketball and we're going to talk draft because Corey diaz can do it all because he covers it all from the daily advertiser that's next right here on the game You know, NFL teams love drafting versatile players. Guys that can do it all. Multifaceted skill set. Well, guess what? That's what we got right now coming on RP3 and company. He covers LSU women's basketball. He covers Raging Cajuns football and baseball. He can talk about recruiting. He can talk about the NFL draft. He does it all for the Daily Advertiser and Gannett. It's our good friend Corey Diaz joining us. Corey, good morning to you, brother. How are you? morning what's up buddy I'm too I'm just living the dream I didn't stay up too late watching the draft not at all I got plenty of sleep um (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: uh,
1: all right I I want to start talking uh with uh, about the Rachel Cajuns and let's start with the baseball team uh they beat LSU great win they go on the road and get smacked around and get embarrassed by JMU they've gotten back-to-back midweek wins now Huge series this weekend at the Teague. Starts tonight against Coastal Carolina. Uh, What do you make of what you're seeing from Matt Deggs' team?
4: Yeah, uh, I mean, I would say uh, good bounce back from from last weekend uh, getting swept at James Madison. And look, and, and James Madison's not a, you know, they're not a cakewalk baseball team by any stretch of the imagination. I know this was Probably a lot of Cajuns fans' first look, you know, at the Dukes in terms of college baseball, um, you know, with it being their first year in the Sun Belt. But, um, you know, James Madison, um, you know, they they had done some good things in the CAA, you know, baseball conference over the years, and so, um, you know, and they're and they're in a, uh, you know, I guess what I would say is a, <laughs> an area of the country where college baseball has been a. Um, Priority for some time, you know, they're over there in the in the Virginias and Carolinas. You know, both Virginia, uh, Virginia Tech, Virginia, they're really good at baseball. You know, right down the road, North Carolina, they've been good for a long time. So it's like they get really good baseball players through that program, and so um, you know their conference record wasn't great going into last weekend, and so they get you get swept by a team that hadn't been playing tremendously great, and and you kind of you know you kind of maybe hit the panic button a little bit, but that was a good team. Uh, so you come back and you have two against Southern and Northwestern State at home, uh, and you win both of those games. So I think that was good in terms of obviously, you know, creating that positive momentum again and um, sort of riding the ship a little bit. But but you're right, RP3, I mean, you got the you got the 10th ranked team in the country coming to town uh, in town already. I'm sure. Um, and uh, just a really good opportunity. You know, obviously you, you've shown just in the last couple of weeks what you're capable of, right? I mean, you went to the box. You beat LSU, who had not lost the midweek game all year long. Uh, you're the first team to knock them off. And now LSU's lost another midweek game, um, you know, this week. So you, you, can, you can play with the best. You can beat the best. Um, you just have to find consistency. Uh, I think, you know, Degg's obviously shifted his – you know his approach with the pitching staff uh, the last couple of nights, and uh, it's obviously you know proven to 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 be somewhat successful with two wins. So I'm interested to see exactly how he's going to approach a you know a a three game conference series. Will he will he sort of stick to his guns there with with running you know three four five guys out there a night, or will he try to let someone um, you know really find a rhythm and, and get into a groove and and just see what he can do? But you know, Coastal's got a great lineup. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see what, what Matt decides to do uh, pitching-wise uh, starting tonight.
1: Yeah, I find that interesting, too, this approach, because he's got to figure out something. You know, two years now of not really having an ace, right, uh, they, and they're trying to figure it out with the, with the pitching staff. Moving forward the rest of the season, what's your confidence level that that this kind of approach to the pitching throwing four or five games uh, four or five guys rather a game that that can actually work and that they can you know move up in the Sunbelt conference standings and maybe even win the conference tournament
4: yeah you know that look I, I think that's really the question of the hour right rp3 is is you know can can this can is can this be sustainable um and I know Matt the other day during the press conference. You know when he brought this up and and kind of what kind of alluded to what the approach was going to be for the you know for the immediate future um, for the team and, and the and the and the rotation of the pitching staff. Uh, you know he brought up some examples of uh, when this has worked in the past and um, you know and there is some truth to you know what he said. Right, it, it's the ability to uh, get most if not all of our best guys you know on the mound you know sort of in almost in like rapid succession in a way right and so um but you know I, i've been around college baseball for a while now look you've got some pitchers who they don't really get warmed up to the third inning you know and it's like so i i don't know if you know if he feels like he has you know a dozen pitchers who um you know Warms up before a game and, and they're ready to go and they have their best up from the, from the, you know, their first pitch on the mound. Um, you know, some guys are wired that way, some guys aren't. So, um, but look, Matt's around the guys. He, he recruited these guys. He, he, you know, he should know them better than anybody, right? And so, um, I don't know that it's a really good question. I, I mean, I, I would say maybe, you know, 65 70 percent confidence because like, you, you just don't really see this very often um but like you said Raymond I mean he's got to try something I mean you know the way the pitching staff looked you know at James Madison was not good. Um, and so you got to figure out something you' in you're in this point in the year and especially with the, how their schedule lined up. I mean, it's about to get really hard, really fast. Coastal's coming in. You got you got Southern Miss down the road. I mean, you've got the best teams in the league still on your schedule. You got to figure out something, and you can't you can't afford to, to get swept again. You, you can't afford to lose a lot of games, especially in the Sun Belt at this point, because uh, that that margin for error in the Sun Belt between you know the the third place team and and, and missing the Sun Belt Conference tournament now is really thin. So uh, there's not a lot of room for error. So you you have to try something.
1: Corey, I want to switch over to the football team. NFL draft is going on. They have some prospects. Obviously, Michael Jefferson's probably not going to get drafted now uh, due to the severe car accident that he was involved in in his native city of Mobile, even though I think someone's probably still going to sign him as an undrafted rookie free agent and put him on the roster and just kind of stash him away uh they have some other guys though. Chris Smith, Gerard Andre Jones. Who do you think has the best shot of being drafted uh either tonight or more than likely on Saturday for rounds 4 through 7 for the Louisiana
4: Raging Cajuns? Yeah, I think I think it's Andre Jones. Uh, I think he stands, you know, the best chance of uh extending UL's um, you know, years consecutive years of having a player draft to, uh, I believe it'll be four now. Um, you know, he, he's look, I mean, he's a guy who's, um, you know, he's gotten better and better, you know, as his collegiate career has gone on to uh, perform better. Um, and I know some, some teams, you know, their concern with him is, you know, cause he's a sixth year senior, you know, he's 24 years old already, you know, has he played his best football and, and, You know, it's unfortunate, you know, he he went to the combine in February and, and, you know, wasn't able to participate in everything because he got hurt pretty early on in his workout. So, you know, and I think for, you know, for some teams, right, that kind of um, flooded that, you know, sort of that mindset of, you know, is his best football behind him because he's already, you know, been playing at this level for six years. Um, But I I still think he's, uh, you know, he had a good workout, uh, with the scouts when they came back through um you know after ul's pro day um, from all from everything that i heard about it uh it was a good workout and um you know i still think there's some teams interested it's pro- probably not you know not all 32s is not going to be interested in but you know there may be a dozen you know there may be 14 15 that are still interested in and in potentially drafting andre i think he stands the best chance Chris Smith's really interesting because I was talking with some scouts after uh, his pro day performance, which was really good, by the way. He, he put up some really good numbers and a lot of lot of measures that, you know, a lot of these scouts and, and, and NFL franchises really love at the running back spot. And um, he could be a guy that could be sitting there late sixth round, seventh round. You know, I mean, if there's a team that, you know, feels like they've already addressed their needs in the draft already. He could be a guy that that I really think any team could draft late in this draft this year because you may just now be looking at it going. Oh well, let's just get a specialist. Chris Smith there from from UL. You know he, he's he's had a really good really good uh, career. You know in Lafayette. You know returning punts. He can return kickoffs. Uh, I think more kickoff return might be what he'd be able to do in the NFL. Um, So you could be looking at teams like that that feels like they've already addressed their needs come day three, late day three, and and they just kind of want to get somebody who might can affect the game in a different way. Chris Smith is that guy. So I think Andre stands the best chance to get drafted, but I do think Chris Smith, because of his ability to affect the game in in a multitude of ways, he could also uh, hear his name called this weekend.
1: So, you believe that the Cajuns will continue that streak of consecutive years with a player drafted?
4: Ooh, that's a good question. If Andre, if Andre, jo- if Andre Jones didn't get hurt at combine, I would 100 percent say yes. If Michael Jefferson obviously did not, um, you know, is not going through what he's going through right now, I would 100 percent say yes. Uh, I agree with you, RP three, at the beginning of this question you said am uh, I'm I'm with you. I, I don't think Mike Jeff gets drafted and it's an unfortunate situation for him because he's clear he's far and away their best NFL prospect and he is probably gonna he might get picked today, you know, if he was um, you know, one hundred percent healthy and good to go. But, you know you know, things happen in life and and for a lot of instances you hate those things when they happen. Um but it's I don't know man it, it, it almost go either way I, I could I could see scenarios where both andre Jones and chris Smith go undrafted you know this weekend uh, but I could also see scenarios where they both get drafted so uh it's hard for me to say I will say yes um but I'm like I'm like 60 40 on that um but, you know, it's just depending on what, what a lot of these teams have kind of done in the draft already. Maybe, you know, with, with trades, maybe they've gotten multiple picks. You know, there, there's so many moving parts to this whole process. So, um, we'll see. Um, you know, if, if there's some teams who sort of stashed away some some late-round draft picks, um, you know, I could easily see that being a team that picks up, you know, say, an Andre Jones or Chris Smith.
1: All right, but I only got like 40 seconds. Obviously, the news broke yesterday and you were on top of this. Louisville guard Haley Van Lith will be transferring to LSU. This is someone that averaged 19.7 uh, points per game, 3.2 assists. You glance at her, she looks like a young Kim Mulkey from her Louisiana Tech days. She talks trash. Seems like she's a perfect fit for this LSU women's basketball program. <laughs> Kim Mulkey's not done with the transfer portal, is she?
4: No, she's not. Uh, Anissa Morrow, the uh, – the all-american sophomore forward from DePaul. She landed late last night in the Baton Rouge. They will be starting her official visit, uh, sometime this morning. Um, I would anticipate, uh, the following weekend, uh, they will have some other transfers coming to visit. Um, India Rogers is a name that I would, I would be on the lookout. She is a, um, she is a senior from Oregon. Uh, she's, uh, She's a good three-point shooter, which I still think uh, this team needs. They need more shooters, um, and she's someone that I feel like that she can come in and help this team. Uh, she has a great relationship, uh, best friends with Angel Reese, uh, so the connection there. Well, that helps. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, you know, there, there's just, some, there's you know, there's there's a, there's one more spot, you know. Um, and so I think, you know, obviously this this staff, you know, and they still have some time before, you know, the season gets going. I don't think they'll rush to any decision per se. Obviously, you'd like to have your, your roster completely full, you know, for summer conditioning and things like that. But, uh, yeah, there's a couple more spaces. Like I said, uh, you know, Anissa's in town. She's, uh, you know, her visit will start today um you know lsu likes their chances with her although i think maybe south carolina might be in the lead for her um because they have far more of a need in the post um and she can she can really score the ball so um so anisa's one to watch man um and i think india rogers is another to watch uh so it's gonna be interesting man um you know this transfer portal has really changed a lot of things especially on the basketball side so um and obviously, Kim's really taken advantage of that in just two years in Baton Rouge now with a national championship. So, um, so yeah, they're probably a preseason number one next year, um, especially with the the addition of Haley Van Lift yesterday officially. Um, I think they're preseason number one. I think UConn will be two. Um, and uh, And they'll probably be the favorites to win another national championship next year. Well, you're our
1: favorite to come on to talk LSU women's hoops and UL athletics, but thank you for your time.
4: <laughs> appreciate you, buddy. Y'all take care.
0: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on Auto the game. game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Whole
1: question of the day. Of course, it's about the draft. What was the biggest surprise in Thursday's NFL draft for the first round? 42% of you say Houston trading up from 12 up to 3, so they could take Will Anderson. They got C.J. Stroud at 2. their are franchise quarterback, they hope. They feel like they got a franchise defensive piece as well at 3. 33% of you say the Saints not trading up, deciding to stay pat. 17% of you say other. 8% say only three QBs taken in, in the draft. Hart on Twitter says, Give me Tejas Spears. Give me Spears. Can I get a Spears? That
2: would be Ty J. Just just producer's note. We're good.
1: Just producer's note. You're getting closer and closer for me throat-punching you. (laughs) (laughs) Let's wrap up the week that way, extraordinaire. How how do you say his name again? Ty J? Ah, see? I got it. There we go. Hour number two in the books. I promise. I'm just joking. T-low. I'm not gonna hurt him Hour number three Chris Blair will join us next right here on the game
0: everything gonna be all right this morning live from the delta media studios in upper lafayette here is producer dawson iserlo and your big bald beautiful host raymond parts the third better known as rp3
1: Hour number three has arrived here of RP3 and Company. Final hour of this Friday edition of the show. Final hour of the week as well. Of course, we've spent a lot of time this morning diving into the NFL draft. Round one was last night. Rounds two and three are today. We expect some LSU players to be taken off the board today. That's for sure. Also, LSU, big weekend series against an improving University of Alabama Crimson Tide baseball team all three games there at Alex Box Stadium you'll be able to listen to live right here on the game and to talk more about the purple and gold is the man who's the voice of the LSU Tigers our good friend Chris Blair joins us Chris good morning to you brother how are you Chris good morning bud how are you I'm
5: good Raymond good to talk with you man been a while
1: It's been a minute man it's been a minute so let's uh let's dive in here with the draft. Uh, no uh, LSU players selected in the first round. We kind of expected that, but there should be a plethora of activity today. Definitely BJ Ojolari will likely go here in the second round. Uh, who do you think is going to be selected uh, today for rounds two and three from LSU?
5: No, I would say it starts there with BJ Ojolari. I mean, a lot of people had him kind of Peg for into the first early second round, and you know I think he's going to provide the, the edge rush that, that you know a lot of NFL teams desire and try to get on the field these days. Um, so I think uh, that's be the first, uh, which shouldn't come as any surprise. Um, you know I think Keishawn Butte is you know probably not as pleased going into the draft as maybe he thought he was a year ago or even before that. Um, but let's face it, not everybody's built and not everybody can play wide receiver in the same way that he can. Um, so again, you know, possibly here in the third round, maybe late second round, um, just depends. I mean, you know, that's one of the things about the draft. You know, I think that everybody has their picks and this is going to happen and this team's going to take this person. And those are the surprises that, that happen each and every year. So, uh, you know, I don't know that there were some major surprises. Maybe the Saints of you know, with their pick last night in the first round, um, I know some people have, you know, made made some talk about whether that was the right move or not. But for the most part, there's going to be a few surprises. But I think, you know, when you you look at all the the data, all the research, all the people prognosticating, um, my first guess would be it would be BJ and 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 then obviously K. Yeah,
1: and it only takes one team to fall in love with the player, right? I mean, that's not, that's what it really boils down to. We see it all the time, guys get selected. People are like, well, why did that guy get drafted in that spot? Well, obviously because the team loved that player and wanted that player. Uh, Let's talk about Brian Kelly's team. Just wrapped up spring football. I know with all your your responsibilities in particular, your play-by-play stuff for baseball and everything like that, you probably didn't get to see as much football practice as you'd like to have. But, man, from all the reports, Chris – offense kind of humming right along lots of positivity there question marks on defense in particular on the back end what were your big takeaways from your conversations with coach and just from what you saw from spring football
5: yeah spring football is one of those deals where i go out a few times just to kind of get an eye test uh mainly to see the some of the early enrollees if they you know try to get an eyeball on you know well, what, were the, what were these guys expected to do early? And then, obviously, for returning players, you just try to see if they've taken a few steps uh, in progress, whether it's running faster, throwing better, throwing farther, uh, you know, tackling harder, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, again, there was a lot of guys who were not participating in spring football that will be back for individual workouts and obviously fall camp before the start of the season. But the ultimate takeaway for me is that, offensively, this is going to be a pretty sporty team. Um, You know, and which shouldn't surprise anybody simply because there are a number of skill players that, you know, came along, uh, played well, got better as the year went along uh, that are coming back uh, for Coach Kelly. Another year in the system, another year of understanding what's expected every single day um, and a load of talent. I mean, it starts at the skill position players. Um, You know, I think defensively, it's still going to be a pretty, pretty tough team, especially up front, maybe the front seven. Uh, obviously, with the guys we talked about moments ago, you're going to lose some guys to the NFL. Um, but, yeah, I think ultimately, no surprise, the, the back end of the defense, you still are, you know, trying to, to shore up. Obviously, I think there's an opportunity to bring some players in in the old transfer portal to maybe not only add to particular positions on the back end, but certainly add to depth um, because that's kind of where LSU has been and it's something Coach Kelly talked about all last year. Um, you know, there were really talented players across both sides of the line of scrimmage. The problem was they weren't very deep. um, And without them on the field, you got a little thin. Uh, But overall, I think, you know, spring football, there's a lot of positivity coming out of it just simply because uh, guys understand what is expected. Now, last year, there was a lot of figuring things out, uh, each other as well as the coaching staff. So you have a pretty cohesive unit coming back from last year's team. And You know, that's just, you know, from a continuity standpoint, that puts you so far ahead of where you were a year ago.
1: Chris, the women's basketball team, obviously on top of the mountaintop, winning the national championship over there in Dallas just a few weeks ago. And they land themselves a great All American player who looks like a younger Kim Mulkey to me um from louisville and they're gonna she's gonna attack the transfer portal as well Uh, put things in perspective for us how significant is it that this program in two years has become maybe the most buzzed about program on campus at a place like lsu
5: no you can't you just can't take away all of the impact that kim mulkey has um You know, when they hired Kim, obviously people who follow college basketball knew her success as a player, as a coach, and you kind of think, okay, well, maybe she was in a position where things fell into play. No, that's not it at all. There is a system. There is a way. And to me, when you look at, you know, the history of LSU basketball, both men and women, and you look at some of the great players, great coaches, great teams that, you know, have come through all these years, and yet in year number two she was able to put it together and a lot of people criticized the non-conference schedule i get it there wasn't a, a bunch of teams with you know big headlines and a lot of wins but it was built that way by design because of all of the new pieces and And kim didn't shy away from that i mean she told people we need to to get this team some confidence we need to get some cohesion um you know we need to to, to have this team learn to play together uh and if they do that as a team themselves, regardless of who they're playing, then they'll become a formidable opponent. And, and we just saw that as, you know, the SEC began. Uh, then we went down the stretch. Then we got to the NCAA tournament. One of the things I noticed in late November, early December last year was for new pieces, this team seems to know where each other is on the floor, where they need to be in certain situations, especially in fast break opportunities. They look like they play together you know, for a couple of years, actually. Uh, And that's a credit to just, you know, Kim and her staff. So the difference for me is you've got an absolute winner who's been a winner in everything she's done, taking over a program that has the ability to draw in top-notch student-athletes. And, you know, it was a matter I think it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when she was going to get the system to where it just reloads every year. And based on what she's done so far, since they won the title uh, a month ago, they're reloading. That's what they're going to do. And I think that's going to be the norm from this point on, as long as Coach Mulkey's at LSU.
1: We're talking with the voice of the LSU Tigers, Chris Blair, joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud, let's shift gears to the baseball team. They had the midweek loss to the Raging Cajuns, but bounced back, got their first conference sweep of the season. I know Ole Miss is down. Right, I get it, but it's still difficult to go into Oxford and take down the defending national champs. But then they have a midweek loss against Nichols this week. They're dealing with some injuries that is kind of nagging them. The bullpen is a little shaky. I still think they're a great team. I still think they're a team that's bound for Omaha. When you see this team game in, game out, what stands out to you both
5: good and bad? Well, I think they got to get healthy. I mean, that's that's number one. A healthy LSU team is the best team in the country, and there's really no argument. I mean, it's just they're that talented. Um, Problem is they don't have everybody at their disposal. Now, the other side of that is that's baseball. That's sports. That's how things go. Um, You know, if there is a team, and Jay said this a lot, that can withstand some losses uh, for, you know, long periods of time, it is LSU just simply because they were able to keep guys – who would be starting just about anywhere else in the country um, that, that are playing you know, spot roles and backup roles. Um, but you don't want to have to do that very long because, again, when you battle the SEC every week, I don't really care what the record is. I mean, they've got SEC-caliber baseball. And frankly, the truth of the matter is, Raymond, SEC baseball is here, and then there's the rest of college baseball. And it's not even close. Um, and so while you know they've dropped the last two midweek games – they got to get SEC victories. And if you take care of SEC victories, you're going to be a number one seed. You're going to be hosting a regional. You'll be hosting a super regional if you get by there. That's where you want to be. So that's got to be the main focus right now for LSU with, you know, a couple, a handful of, of SEC weekends remaining, believe it or not, before we ended up, finish up this season. You know, there were some teams like Vanderbilt, like Florida, like Kentucky um, that were able to rack up a bunch of wins early in conference play, and it looked like, you know, Vanderbilt was going to run away with it. Um, And now all of a sudden, the last two weekends, you start to see things start to even out. That shows, again, the parity and the talent in this league. Um, But LSU's got to get healthy. If they're healthy, they're the toughest out in the country. Um, You know, without Tommy White and without Trey Morgan in the lineup, um, not only is, is that a big blow just simply because of those guys. I mean, you're talking about two of your top four hitters, you're talking about two of the guys that are in the front four of your lineup. Um, that changes a lot for LSU. So, you know, on Tuesday against Nichols, we were told, hey, we probably need to give them a day off just to get back to 100%. Uh, obviously, Tommy had had an injury, just a slight injury, that had been nagging for a couple of weeks and kind of finally got too bad to play. And then, of course, Trey took the the pitch on the wrist late in the game on Sunday in Oxford. After the game Tuesday, and since then, it's kind of been the word you hear is we hope they're back. Um, That's, you know, we'll have to wait and see later tonight. Um, But they need to get SEC wins. They were able to get three last week. They get an opportunity to get three this week. To me, it's not about sweeping a series, it's just about picking up SEC victories, and that's what they got to do. Currently atop the SEC West um but it looks like both the east and west are going to go down to the wire as far as who's going to win it and of course who's going to win the sec overall
1: and south carolina is uh, surprisingly going to be one of those teams that i think is going to have something to say about that because i feel like they're probably the second best team in the conference behind lsu chris but just they they have everything kind of working for them let's talk about this weekend uh Alabama has been up and down in recent years, more down than up. It feels like they're improving this season, and they look to be maybe a tougher opponent right now than they were, say, maybe even a month ago. I know you've broken down the film. You've done your research. Uh, What are some of the things folks can expect at the box this weekend with Alabama in town?
5: Well, going into the season, there were two teams I think that most people identified as the teams to watch, that may not be getting all the love early. And that was South Carolina, to your point, just simply because of what they did in the transfer portal, what they've been able to do to build their lineup, and their pitching is good enough. And the second team was Alabama, who got off to a slow start in SEC play, but they played a pretty daunting schedule. Not quite what LSU did with five top 12 teams to start SEC play, but they did play at Florida. You know, they lost at Arkansas. Uh, lost a series, I should say. So early on in the season, they played some pretty rough teams. But Jay Johnson and Ben McDonald, two guys that I listen quite a bit to when it comes to college baseball, both said that Alabama was a team to be reckoned with simply because it's basically the same team from a year ago with a few new added pieces. And I I think Coach Bohannon has done a very good job and give Alabama credit in a a day where a lot of of schools don't give you time to, to build a program anymore. As you pointed out, Alabama baseball was kind of in the same spot Tennessee baseball had been for a lot of years. Yep. Um, Coach bohannon has been given the time now to try to right that ship, and, and I think he's now starting to see the, the, the fruit of the labor, so to speak. They've won five SEC games in a row, coming off the sweep at Missouri this past weekend. Um, they've got good enough pitching, uh, and again, they find ways to manufacture runs. And when you look at LSU this season, who, again, for the most part, we count on the long ball. We count on extra base hits, runners getting on, that sort of thing. Um, you know, Alabama's another team, not quite as extreme as Kentucky when it comes to uh, using every trick in the book, uh, but they're going to try to find to get guys on, get them over, and get them in. And um, again, you got a team that's playing pretty confident. You got a team that's now starting to see some success, getting to 500 in SEC play right there in the mix when you look at the SEC West. Um, they got a lot to play for, and you know, you certainly hope LSU realis- realizes that as well. And that's one of the things that's impressed me about this LSU team this year. Is for the most part, you know, they've kind of adopted that mentality of every game is a as a playoff game, fifty six game playoff, as Jay refers to it. Um, you know, they've had nights where they haven't played as well; Tuesday being one of them, um, but but I think they'll be ready to go. Just hope they're going to be at full strength against a very good Alabama team. So it should be a great series, and that's one of the great things about this season. You get a chance to see some of the best college athletes when it comes to baseball in the country, like Dylan Cruz, uh, like Tommy White, like Trey Morgan, like Paul Skeens. Um, And then you get to see some really good competition come in and battle. And that's why I hope there's going to be great crowds, great weather, and a great series this weekend between Alabama and LSU
1: chris appreciate your time as always enjoy the call this weekend my friend we'll talk to you soon
0: thanks raymond have a great weekend this is rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero Dale Murphy.
1: I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy.
0: Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero, as his long highlights as a ball player were being beamed twice in the head explains a lot back to more rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest, southwest Louisiana louisiana's sports, sports station. station
1: we've been talking a lot about the nfl draft and we've even uh, dove into a good weekend for college baseball. LSU taking on Alabama. You're worried about the injuries there for the Tigers. Two of their top four hitters, as Chris Blair was telling us, may not play. UL has a great opportunity in front of them, taking down the top a top-10 ranked team in the country with Coastal Carolina coming to town. Of course, we've talked a lot about the NFL draft. Saints stood pat last night, took the 29th overall pick, selected the defensive tackle out of Clemson. They didn't move up, didn't do anything crazy. Oh, and by the way, they took a defensive lineman. Ha-ha! If only there was a show that was telling you that that was more than likely what they were going to do based on their history. If only there was a show like that in Acadiana.
2: If only. We'll get that together maybe. Maybe we'll debut maybe. that show at some point. Maybe. Maybe.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying. Maybe. Uh, a lot of great players have fallen down. They'll be available in rounds two and three for the Saints tonight. Uh, look, the 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 pick, the kid out of Clemson is not a sexy pick, right? It doesn't move the needle. But the Saints like to do that, right? I, listen, I mean, last year they got a lave and people got excited about that, but they typically take picks in the first two rounds that you don't get really excited about if you're uh, – member of the Houdat Nation. They're smart picks. They're the picks that fit their mold, fit their philosophy, but they don't move the needle. I would be willing to bet you that the Saints may take a guy in the second round tonight that people may get more excited about than, say, their first round pick. And uh, could be wide receiver. Just throwing it out there. Could be wide receiver in the second round. They've had some uh, some good luck with uh, guys selected in the second round with, at wide receiver. We'll see what happens. They could also take a safety. Branch has fallen into the second round inexplicably. Lots of good players have fallen into the second round. So Saints will have a great opportunity to take someone really talented tonight. But don't be surprised, as Dawson mentioned, there may be somebody that they love that they trade up to go get. And they may still have pick number 42. I wouldn't be surprised if you see them take trade away a future second rounder in this year's third to get another second round pick tonight because of the wealth of talent that's going to be there. We'll dive into that more with Ross Jackson, who'll join us from the Locked On Saints podcast less than five minutes from right now. But I need to address something. D'Lo and I are both running in the Festival International 5K tomorrow morning. Got to be there for 8 o'clock, bud, okay? We'll go get our packets today, shirts, the numbers, everything like that, okay? I'm running it with my daughter, who's been my coach since March 1st. Lost nearly 24 pounds. I'm under 300 pounds for the 5K, which has been my big goal, right? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I've run a couple of 5Ks in my younger years when I was around 265 or less when I was working out and taking care of myself. <laughs> but that was more than a decade ago. So, I've been training, been doing a lot of walking, uh being on the elliptical, been doing some jogging. I am not going to be running the 5K tomorrow. My goal is to finish the 5K. My goal is not to pass out and be on the ground and embarrass my daughter and bring shame to my household. That's my goal. But I'd also like to try to finish the 5K me being my size Dawson my age is getting it done under 45
2: minutes a realistic goal for your boy um I don't what's your walking pace like I mean because you're talking about 15 minutes a mile there that's a that's a pretty brisk walk but if you're doing that in your in your training then then certainly realistic there. Let me pull up the old walk meter for you, yeah. Because I've been
1: uh, chronicling this, if you will. No, I don't. I don't want the pop ad. Go away. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see here. You know, I I, uh, I I got. It's not bad here. Let's see history. So I can. Let's see. Saturday. Saturday, I walked, just walked, uh, looked like nearly two miles, and I did it in about an hour. But that's just walking. Um, So I've been incorporating walking and jogging here. So I I think my realistic goal would be an hour,
2: Yeah, is what I feel like.
1: If I can get the 5K done in an hour. Now, I'm going to have the little motivator with me. That's going to help. She is going to help. As she's going to say, come on, Daddy. Now, I've been incorporating more jogging into it as well of late. So, um, any words of advice? You're a
2: healthy young man. Yeah, no. I mean, look, just pace yourself, certainly. I think there's a tendency to get real fired up and excited, like this is the oh. moment, and try to take off early. But I would say resist that urge. No. i got to save that um, burst for yeah, the I finish know that, line, and bud. And that, that sprinter, I know you've probably got a background in sprinting, so you got to get that <laughs> sprinter's mentality out of your head. That's <laughs> yes. that's a key. yes. Um, yes. but yeah, kind of pacing yourself. I'm hoping that we maybe get a little cloud cover. Um, we've, we've been having these weird mornings where it's like 50 degrees early and then it's like 95 in the middle of the day. That's like some Tallahassee weather, which I, I'm not used to like, we usually kind of have more of a consistent temperature. So I'm, I'm hoping maybe it's, it's a little under 80, there we go. 85 degrees. That'd be nice. I haven't actually looked at what it's projected to be. Make sure to stretch in the morning. Um, absolutely. Well, that's going to be my big thing. Cause I'm fine. As long as I don't have any sort of, I just have a lot of, uh. I don't know. I get I get stiff a lot and so, so, so where, what I'll what are you, you gonna this. eat tonight? What are you gonna eat tonight? Because
1: obviously well, you're not I'm, gonna have a heavy breakfast in the morning. What's no, your yeah, breakfast I'm gonna, gonna go, be like?
2: Um I just don't I'm up. not a big breakfast person. I'll probably go protein shake protein or maybe shake. a granola I like bar, protein bar. I like or not, it. Probably just that's about it. Um and then a lot of water. Gotta hydrate. Hydration Ooh. starts today too, by the way. Alright. Oh,
1: right here. Yeah. Right here. That's right. That's Already right.
2: replaced the coffee, and I've got water now, and I'm going to go back for a second cup. I've been um, hydrating
1: all week in, in preparation. There you go. And taking my potassium pills that's to help with the That's even better.
2: Even <laughs> better. Um, but, yeah, no, that's my thing. I mean, I am going to festival, I think, for a couple hours tonight before the Cajun baseball oh, nice. game. Look at you. So, I, you know, I'm probably going to sample something over there, but not tr- maybe not go all in on the crawfish bread bowl tonight. Maybe wait for tomorrow for that one, you know?
1: Uh, I told, I made a deal with my wife. She's like, "I want some boiled crawfish this weekend." I said, "Okay." She says, "What about Friday?" I says, "Babe, I'm not eating boiled crawfish." The yeah, night no, that one. Came. That one. The and salt, especially, that would be that sodium would, be a bad would kill idea. me. So it'll be a big wedge salad tonight. There you go. That's how I'm going to prepare. Get a little Pro- protein in there though. I'm going to have some bro- some shrimp or chicken. Yeah, there you go. I'm just mix it up, and then tomorrow uh, tomorrow night the celebration will be boiled crawfish. <laughs>
2: that,
1: that works. Wait, we, we had the crawfish bowl here yesterday for the and. And people are like, "Aren't you going to have any?" I'm go I can't. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah. I can't. I can't have any. I. I wish I could. I would want to just dive in and destroy that bull crawfish, but I just can't do it. Can't do
2: it. I will, I'll say my goal too, just to have it documented. That that's more motivation because then it's it's bad if you don't. I'm going to say 35 minutes for me, which like, and I that's probably a pretty bad number for some for anyone who's like an experienced runner. I haven't done these. I don't do distance running. I never did. I always did, like, I did a lot of sprint work. I mean, football, that's just how you train. Same with baseball. You don't really train as much distance-wise. I probably should have been in better distance running shape. But so 35 minutes, which for me, a consistent jog. I don't want to have to walk at all. I want to be able to at least jog the whole way, maybe have some running spurts. Uh, The good thing for me is as long as I don't have any sort of cramping up or anything, I'm pretty good at pushing, especially once I'm able to see the, the end in sight. So um, I'm thinking under 35 minutes. I'd love to get under like 30, 32, 31, but um, I don't know. I you I've go around. You go with
1: 45 minutes. I'm going to go with an hour. I'm going 35. 35 and let's, and You go with 35 yeah. minutes. That's going to be your goal. I'm going to go with getting it done under an hour. I think we can do that. Let's make it happen, bud. Right now we got to take a timeout. When we return. We'll talk to someone who's healthy, probably does 5Ks in his spare time. Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast will join us to recap the Saints pick and what he thinks they'll do today in rounds two and three. That's next, right here on The Game.
0: This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Uh, don't forget to get those votes in on our poll question of the day. It's about what was the biggest surprise for you last night in round one of the NFL draft? Was it the fact that only three quarterbacks were selected? Was it Houston trading up from 12 to 3 to go get Will Anderson? Or was it the Saints not trading up? Or was it something else? Right now, 42% of you say Houston trading up. 35% say the Saints not trading up. 16% say other. And 7% say only three QBs taken. To break down what the Saints did last night, selecting the young man out of Clemson with the number 29 overall pick a defensive lineman and to look ahead to rounds 2 and 3 is the man from the locked on saints podcast our good friend Ross Jackson joins us Ross good morning to you brother how are you
6: what's up buddy good morning doing great doing great glad as always to be here with you man hope you do, hope you holding up right i don't know how late you were up last night i know we were out there uh, i was i
1: was I, I, yeah, I was ages. up
6: i was up late um
3: yeah <laughs> <laughs> always always
1: so uh look You and I have talked about this over the years. Mickey Loomis, Jeff Ireland, they always have a plan. They like really five or six guys they're in love with. And they prioritize D-line, O-line, wide receiver, DB. That's what they do in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. Year in, year out, year in, year out, year in, year out. And guess what they did last night, Ross? (laughs) They took a defensive lineman.
6: You're not surprised by their pick, right? No, not at all. I've been sneaking Brian Brzee segments into my show at least once a week for the past about two months uh, because it just seemed very likely that Brian Brzee was going to be a fit for the New Orleans Saints. And we all knew, I mean, it was it was, you know, my mother knew that defensive tackle was a need for the new orleans saints and i don't think that she watched a game of new orleans saints football last year and so i i look at where the saints had their biggest need i know that mickey loomis said that they didn't have any must but they had a whole lot of would like to haves then i would certainly say that defensive tackle was a would like to very 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 much have at the top of their list if it wasn't a must You know, they bring in, you know, a couple of new guys that are, you know, extremely talented, hyper athletic, and Colin Saunders, as well as Nathan Shepard. They return Prince Amelia, as well as Malcolm Roach. But even with those four guys, you're still looking for more bodies to go into camp, and you're still looking for who's going to be your perennial three tech pass rusher the New Orleans Saints now have that player as long as he can answer all the questions around his health and and you know sort of the things that he had to deal with throughout college the adversity that he faced as long as he continues to surmount all of that then they should have found exactly what they were looking for in Brian Brzee
1: let's talk about the young man uh was an automatic starter great high school player comes into Clemson a national perennial powerhouse Starts for them automatically, but he's had some injury issues. How concerning is it uh, of his injury issues that he's had in in his collegiate career?
6: Yeah, I think anytime that you see a player that has an ACL injury in their history, it's something worth flagging, although I don't think that we treat ACL injuries now. Certainly, we don't treat them the way that we used to 10 years ago uh, at this point. There have been so many advances sort of in that Um, You know, he had shoulder surgery in 2022, didn't seem to have too much of an impact, but then had a kidney infection. So it was a little bit fluky. He mentioned when we spoke to him last night that, you know, he didn't really start to feel like he was 100 percent himself again until about the combine Pro day times, things like that, and that certainly showed in his athletic testing. Being a six foot five, two hundred ninety eight pound guy, running a four eight six, and you know, uh, running great shuttle, a three cone change of direction, short area quickness drills, things like that. So you certainly got an opportunity to see that. So it's easy to see what the New Orleans Saints fell in love with here. Dennis Allen told us last night that they felt really comfortable about where his medicals are, and then the other things to to keep in mind around Brzee and his collegiate years, him coming into. Clemson as the number one overall recruit across the nation, one spot ahead of the guy that went one one last night. And Bryce Young headed to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, that some of that was also derailed by by family and you know the 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 ongoing ongoing brain cancer battle by his little sister uh, Ella, which eventually came to a head in September of last year when she passed away. And and, and look, I don't want to sit here and rehash the poor guy's trauma or the family's trauma or anything like that. But there is something about Him managing that adversity, coming out on the other side of it as a not so hardened but mature uh, man. And there's a lot of reasons in terms of his makeup and his character that, you know, that stands out to me in terms of being a fit for the New Orleans Saints.
1: You know, they go D tackle. He's there for them. Would they have preferred Maisie Smith out of Michigan and he was just taken? Or do you think this is the guy that they really liked? Because he kind of fits that prototypical defensive lineman that the Saints like to have. They have a prototype. He fits it really well.
6: Yeah, yeah. I think you look at, you know, Brian Brzee and, you know, athletically or not athletically, excuse me, uh, measurable-wise, he's a a bit of a taller Sheldon Rankins, if you will, in terms of being that attacking um, athletic three tech interior pass rusher that comes in and you know test off the charts and, and and all those other pieces and so I, I think that that's a little bit more where he lands uh, I personally really liked Mozzie Smith I also personally really liked Brian Brzee I also really liked right before Brian Brzee went off the board Miles Murphy who went to the Cincinnati Bengals the the edge rusher out of Clemson and in DA uh, Dennis Allen did tell us last night that when the Cincinnati Bengals were up on the board, they had. A couple of guys that they really liked, and so they knew that they were going to be able to get one of them, and Brian Brzee was one of those guys. So I think they had him pretty far up there, uh, but with the way that the board fell, which was kind of a a, a, a bit of an unexpected twist-and-turn-filled uh, 2023 NFL first round in, in, in the draft, um, you know, they never felt the need to trade up for him or go and grab them. They felt very comfortable at sticking and picking where they were, just like they did a couple of years ago at 28. They do it again here at 29, and they get their guy in Brian Brazine.
1: So they get him, and that shores up kind of the defensive line, the defensive tackle positions, because they like to do rotation there anyway, right? and and that works out really well for them. So now that they've done that, and they've done a nice job in free agency as well of tacking other needs, here they are, and there's a slew of great players that inexplicably fell to the second round. They have pick number 40. Who do you think they go after, and who do you think they should target with their second-round pick at 40 tonight?
6: Yeah, look, I, I don't think there's any position worth ruling out now at, at this point, especially with the way that this board has fallen. I, I personally like the idea of them continuing their usual tradition of addressing the trenches and going over to their offensive line. They're both of their guards, both of their starting guards this year, Andrews Pete on the left side, Caesar Rees on the right side, are going into contract years in 2023, assuming that Caesar Rees' fifth-year option isn't picked up. And so I think that you know, if a guy like Osiris Torrance out of Florida and, of course, formerly with the Raging Cajuns, three years there, one year in, in the SEC, never allowed a sack. I don't think had uh, either either had zero penalties or three penalties called against him last year. I can't remember which one it is, uh, but I believe it was only eight total pressures that were credited against him. I mean, you you look at a guy that can come in and potentially challenge for a starting role right away, but certainly has a lane open to him to becoming a starter in 2024. I think that that's a good spot to be. And of course you want to be prepared for injuries along the offensive line because if there's one thing we know about the NFL injuries happen. And if there's one thing we know about the new Orleans saints, they know that and so I think that getting a guy like Osiris Torrance or maybe even Steve Avila out of TCU North Dakota State University's Cody Mauk, just one of those guys that can come in and contribute for you and help to protect Derek Carr and I think Dennis Allen kind of tipped his hat to that a little bit when he said that you know a lot of their premier positions are connected to the quarterback whether that's protecting him or getting whether it's protecting yours or getting after the opponents so I think the offensive line could be the place for them to go next but I wouldn't rule anything out tight end corner uh Wide receiver. Uh, there's just nothing worth ruling out for this New Orleans Saints team that's not afraid to build on a strength just as much it is willing to uh, address a need.
1: I mentioned it earlier, and I want to get your thoughts on this since I want to wrap it up. Ross is, you know, they sit at 40, and there's going to be a great player at a position that they value very high that's going to fall to them at 40. Uh, could they also maybe trade their third and trade next week's uh, next year's second? to get back in there and get another guy in the second round?
6: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And I, I don't think that that would be out of the ordinary for the New Orleans Saints. I think oftentimes when we sort of angle the the Saints aggressiveness in, in the draft, uh, we think about the first round, but really they'll, they'll trade up all over the place. They traded up for Alvin Kamara in, in the second round or excuse me, the third round, um, you know, they traded up for, Uh, you know, guys like Paul Sinadibo and Landon Young and and, and others in later rounds uh, of the draft. So I certainly would not rule that out one bit that they could get uber aggressive here in day three, excuse me, in day two uh, and either move up from round three to get back into round two or maybe even move up a little bit earlier in round two if there's a guy that they really, really like. Let's say Dennis Allen mentioned that, you know, there was a couple of guys on the board when Cincinnati was picking and so they knew they were going to get one of those guys that Brian Brazil was one of them, if that other guy is still out there at the beginning or early on in the day, how does that impact the New Orleans Saints in terms of their ability or not necessarily ability, but their want to stand stand pat and wait for eight picks to go by before they go up and see if they can get that other guy. So I, I wouldn't rule anything out for the Saints in terms of their aggressiveness and their ability to move up, bump up, jump up, and go and get the guy that they want.
1: Ross, appreciate your time. As always, keep up the tremendous work. I know it's going to be a long weekend, brother. But uh, you got the energy. Uh, any words of wisdom? I'm running my first 5K tomorrow, the first one I've done in more than 10 years. I've lost some weight. I got down to under 300 pounds. Nice. My goal tomorrow is a not to pass out along the course, but also yeah. to finish within an hour. Is that a realistic expectation for your boy, who's now a a just a you know just ripped 298?
6: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think a ripped two ninety eight should come in uh, under an hour. You should carbo load, uh do as much Fettuccine Alfredo as you can right before <laughs> running. Not hours before running, immediately before running. During like the race, your, your, Michael Scott, yes, yes. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, thank you, brother. Of course, I'll be take care. Stay safe. Talk to you soon
0: this is rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros rp3 is the epitome of a high roller constantly making large bets
1: but by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet that netted me a cool
0: $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. No! Oh! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Oh, just a reminder, the A2FA Festival returns to Arneville this weekend. It features carnival rides, food, bingo, live musical entertainment, including Adam Leger Band, Crossfire, Gino De La Fosse, and French Rock and Boogie, just to name a few. In addition to the music and rides, there is the Mayor's Cook-Off contest on Saturday, bingo, and a car show on Sunday. For more information, visit www.arnevillecatholic.org. That's www.arnevillecatholic.org. I want to take a moment to thank our guests: James Yasko from the Lehman Time Time podcast, Corey Diaz from the Daily Advertiser, Chris Blair, the voice of the LSU Tigers, of course, Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast. Poll question of the day. I'll get to, but first, Ralph chimed in with a comment here. Been watching a lot of the breezy film since the pick. The first pinning breezy fight of camp should be a humdinger. Poor Andres Pete will get steamrolled. (laughs) Ha ha! (laughs) Uh, They could take uh, Andres Pete's replacement uh, tonight. Uh, Osiris Torrance is a mammoth man, and man, if they get him, that would be phenomenal. Poll question of the day. What was the biggest surprise in Thursday's NFL draft first round? 42% of you say Houston trading up to three. 35% say the Saints not trading up. 16% say other. 7% say only three quarterbacks selected. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all of you who also commented on the poll question of the day. We appreciate you making us part of your morning. What a day. What a week. What a weekend on tap. More NFL draft. Great college baseball series. I'm going to try not to pass out and embarrass my family in the Festival International 5K tomorrow. Delo's is going to try to get under 35 minutes and flex up afterwards because, you know, look, he's young. He's athletic. Great week, bud. Great job. Great job to you, my friend. And you as well.
2: Thank you. Sharp show today.
1: Oh, it was a sharp show today. What what a way to end the week strong. That's going to do it for us. We'll be back on Monday morning, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote in footnotes is up next right here on the game.